You know, in addition to um, the graduates and what they've done, can we uh, just right there where we are applaud um, Brian and Naomi for the way that they know those those students? They have invested um, their lives and will continue to. Um, that it's so obvious in the way that you're describing and giving these examples that um, this wasn't just uh, because you hung out with these kids only on a Sunday or on a Wednesday night. Uh, and Brian Kaplan, uh, 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 Brian Tabor, I would include you in this too from what you shared last week with our senior graduates. I mean, you've invested your lives in these students and you've walked with them um, not just in a church building, but in the real life, the real day-to-day. -day. And it's, it's so evident in the way that you describe them and their lives are so enriched because you are in them and you've invested in them. And I just kind of want to throw this out to our church family. Uh, I wonder if there's others of you that would um, feel a tug in your heart to, to step up and to make yourself available to invest in this next generation in the lives of some students. Uh, and uh, just there is such a, a rich relational history in this church. People that have been here for a long time and have these deep abiding friendships with each other. And if you've just kind of been jumping in with Bay Marin in, in recent months, as I know uh, some of you have, um, I'm, I'm excited to how these relationships are being formed with you. And uh, this time next year, this time next decade, uh, we'll have just that many more stories uh, to share. So keep, keep doing what you're doing. I love the ministries that we offer and just the way that it's so deeply ingrained in the DNA to do life together. I love that. Um, you know, graduations um, and one, one thing we expect and that we trust will take place, whether it's in the, in the younger ones of, of Cora or in some of the high school graduates that we saw or even uh, last week or even with, with Abby, we trust that what takes place when they graduate is that they are continuing to grow and mature. Graduation, graduation is not simply a celebration of arrival, but it's more a rec recognition of like an intersection between the past and a promise. It's a way of honoring um, maturity and growth, but graduation has an implied um, meaning of as great as this is, there's more to come. We, we expect growth and maturity to take place, right? When, um, when these students that are just going into the uh, middle school program or the high school program, um, when they're honored for seniors as, as seniors that are graduating in the next few years, um, we would expect that growth and maturity has taken place. And those are gonna be the characteristics that, that Naomi and others are gonna be able to affix to them. Um, because that when they graduate from high school, they're not the same as they are, are now, as great as that is. So let me ask you a question. Is there a point in life or an age, and this is more of a rhetorical question, but is there a point in life or an age that you reach when it's acceptable for growth and an all-encompassing maturation to just stop? I'm not asking necessarily if we reach an age when we stop learning. I'm asking, is there a point in life 
where we stop becoming. Because I think, um, I think the people that I'm drawn to the most are the people that just seem to be on a continual trajectory of growth. I think of uh, this sweet lady who is going to be 93 on Christmas Eve this year. Beth and I know her really well from San Jose. Her name is Noni. She has journeyed with God two to three times as many years as some of you have been alive. She has this sweet relationship with Jesus. She is a woman of prayer. Um, but the thing that strikes me is she's always talking about this, these areas of her life where she's looking forward to growing some more. Um, those people are just so inspiring to me. And so um, let me ask you, who are you becoming? Because this is not something where we graduate and we kind of check it off the list and go, okay, good, I've got that done. And there is no more. It's, it's this implied, there, there is more ahead of us. Um, a couple weeks ago, we looked at some scripture verses that vividly describe how the church, the gathering of us as apprentices and followers of Jesus, is essential for bringing out the God colors of this world, the manifold wisdom of God, the multicolored glory of God. And we talked about in the context of how, um, in some respects, the government and, and others look at the church as at least the gathering together in this season as non-essential. Um, we joked and said that we've been lumped in the category of nail salons, um, that golf courses are even considered more essential than the church. And so today on the second graduation Sunday in a row, I want to show you how the church is not just essential for the um, displaying the manifold wisdom, the multicolored glory of God, I want us to see how the church is essential for maturing people, for, for helping them grow and mature. The church is essential for our becoming. Um, if you have a Bible handy or, um, or a Bible app, uh, we're going to look at Ephesians 4. For just a, a few minutes, I'm going to put the first portion that we're going to look at in the chat feature. You could follow along with that. And I've got it kind of bracketed at the beginning. We as Christians work together. In other words, in the verses before that, kind of a summary is um, Paul, who wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus, um, he's saying that we, we come together and we use the different gifts that God has given us. And the purpose for this is we do this until we all reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So it's he's describing that we come together as a church to so that we can become mature, so that we can grow, becoming um, to this whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That phrase, whole measure, is... Uh, is a, is a term that we would be familiar with, especially um, if we have kids and or remember when we were kids and we would mark our height as we grew on, on a wall. Maybe it was on your bedroom wall. The, uh, that, that phrase, whole measure, means the full height. So we want to attain the full height of Christ. How's that for an interesting picture? Um, 
usually when, uh, when I'm talking about these growth marks on the wall, we've done it with our kids. Um, I've seen it done in a variety of settings, but there's a date next to that mark and then the name of the person who uh, on that date in history, this is how tall he or she was. Um, Beth and I and the kids are moving into a new rental in Novato. And uh, yesterday we got the keys and uh, we can begin the moving process. And um, the owners of the home, uh, our new landlords are, are sisters. And this is their childhood home. So it's a, uh, this isn't just like some rental property that they bought. Uh, this is their childhood home. And as they were showing us the house, out in the garage on the drywall are some marks where they, um, over the years with pencil and crayon and pen, different things at different years, um, they marked how tall they were and, and put the names, uh, put their individual names next to them. So I want you to just kind of picture that. I'm sure it's not hard to picture these, these growth marks that progressed over the years. And then if you could imagine on that wall, looking up way above the marks of these two girls as they grew up, way above that mark is another mark. And next to that mark is the name Jesus. And what Paul is saying in this passage is that, um, uh, that we contribute to one another's growth towards the height of Christ. Not literally his physical stature, of course, but the completeness of Christ, or as the scriptures refer to oftentimes, the image of Christ. And then in verse 14, um, Paul continues with this, with this example of growing, and it says this. Again, I'm putting that in the chat feature. So we grow, and he says, then we will no longer be infants. And so in other words, we're, we were, we all started off growing um, from this very young age, um, but we don't stay there. We all continue to grow. This is an ever uh, this is a never-ending journey that we are on, this process of growth. We will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. In other words, it's this picture of we're growing in the wisdom, kind of reaching back to this manifold uh, wisdom, this multicolored wisdom. We are growing in this. We no longer are just infants. And instead, we are speaking the truth in love. We will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. We grow and mature into what? The image of Christ. We grow to the height of Christ. Now, we won't fully attain the height of Christ until God calls us home, either by death or by his coming back to gather up his children. That is what the scriptures say will be when we are transformed into um, the full glory of who God created us to be. Now, this image of Christ is kind of a weird phrase. It, it evokes in us maybe some, some odd thoughts. Being the image of Christ does not mean that we start dressing like Jesus and that we take up carpentry and that we are really popular at weddings for the things that we can do with water. Um, this being the image of Christ, if I had to um, 
describe it, our growth into the image of Christ is a process of becoming more loving and kind and generous and selfless and forgiving, healing, life-giving, meek, gentle, patient. It is in ever-increasing measures offering hope and inspiring people with faith in the Father and a restful dependence on the Holy Spirit. And this is not a process of becoming clones to where we're all exactly like each other, but rather loving and serving Jesus, but in our different roles and in our unique ways. And spiritual growth, just like our physical growth, this is not something that happens overnight. The graduates that we um, are honoring today, um, their growth, for the most part, is going to be um, almost not noticeable from the day to day. But when you look back over time, you realize that a significant process has taken place. Um, there's a definition for spiritual formation that I read several years ago in a book by Robert Mulholland. Uh, it's a book called Invitation to a Journey. And if you are interested in reading more about this process of being uh, formed into the image of Christ, this is a great book that I would recommend. Um, he says that spiritual formation is the process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of the world. So this is not just we become more like Jesus so we can get the warm fuzzies, but these qualities of love and kindness and hope and the way we can inspire other people, this is all for the sake of the people around us. Now, for the longest time, um, I figured that growing in Christ-likeness, that there is this pressure on me to be a model Christian in the world. Um, to be a model Christian, just in case you're not aware of this, to be a model Christian is a lot of pressure. To be a model anything is a lot of pressure. Um, you wouldn't have to really do a lot of studying of the uh, modeling industry to know that they are under tremendous pressure to, to be a model. They have to look a certain way. They have to act a certain way. They have to wear clothes a certain way. Um, the media loves role models who crack under pressure. Am I right? I mean, it, it takes place in every arena of life. There are role models in sports, role models in business, there's role models in government, and, and the media loves it when those role models, they, they seem to thrive, the media does, off of role models who crack under pressure. And there's another area where we have role models who crack under pressure, and those are church leaders and church pastors. Um, I'll be the first to say, I am uh, certainly not beyond cracking under that kind of pressure. The thought of having to be, uh, for you as my Christian family, a model Christian, that's a lot of pressure. And it got me to wondering, is there an alternative to being a model Christian other than the alternative of just not caring or giving up entirely on trying to grow as a Christian? If we cannot convince the world that God is God by successfully being model Christians, then what do we do? Well, before I answer that question, let me ask you one, and this is uh, move up close to your computer so you can use the chat feature. 
if you like movies or enjoy um, reading novels, then this is going to be, uh, this will make a lot of sense to you. What makes a story great and memorable is not necessarily a story centered around a perfect character, but rather a character who is changed over the course of the film or narrative. So using the chat feature, um, name a favorite movie character or character in a book who underwent a change in which at the end, they were not the same person that they were at the beginning. They underwent a change in which they were not the same person at the end of the movie as they were at the beginning. And I can give you some examples, but you have already got a few of them going. Um, ooh, beautiful. The Prodigal Son, a great story in Scripture. The Doctor, Bruce Wayne, yes. <laughs> Harry Holler in Steppenwolf. Um, oh, the, uh, Tom Hanks' character in Castaway. That's a great example. I'm waiting for someone to put Frodo. He was not the same hobbit when he returned to the Shire as he was when he... So I put Sam, yeah. Nick in The Great Gatsby. Luke Skywalker, yeah. Thank you, Dave, for writing Frodo. Okay. Oh, Hero from Big Hero 6. Yeah, I remember seeing that. Neo in The Matrix. So we have these characters, these people that we, we see them at the beginning of the story. And then we realize that there has been a metamorphosis that has taken place. Um, they are not the same person. Um, I believe that the best thing that I have to offer a broken world is not for me to be a model Christian, but it's for me in my brokenness to model or to be an example, not of perfection, but of but of someone who is ever transforming. I'm not a model Christian, but I am a character in a story, an imperfect character striving to make progress. And the best thing I have to give the world is myself as I'm being formed more and more into the image of Christ. There's a significant difference between being a model Christian and being a character in God's story of redemption here and now. And the proof of our growth is not perfection. Don't put that weight on yourself. The proof of our growth is in progress. The Bible is not a story of model followers of God, but rather stories of characters. Stories in which a character's character is being transformed. God's plan is not to use perfect people to convince the world, but rather to use growing and transforming people to create a movement. The Bible itself is a collection of stories. It's a, it's a love story of God reaching down and showing his love and transforming graces to people like you and I. The Bible is not intended to be used like a manual to convince you, but rather as a story to move you.
it is full of examples in which as you are reading these stories, you can go, oh, wow, I can totally relate to that. And that makes us to want to be more like that person, specifically more like Christ who is shining through them. Again, the Bible is not full of model Christians. Um, if you read someone other than about Jesus in the Bible, but if you're reading about a character in the Bible and you think, my goodness, this person is perfect, just keep reading. I'm telling you, the Bible is full of jacked up people. And that's what makes the Bible so compelling to me to read is because I see the jacked upness of me reflected in so many of them. Let me tell you, what makes your story powerful is not how unique it is, but rather how in many ways it's a story just like everybody's story, which makes it a story that others can relate to. Let me give you this example. Parents, how many of you want to hear other parents talk about how perfect their children are and how they mastered the role of parenting? They speak in all these definitive terms telling you, this is how I did it. This works perfectly. Now, contrast that with how powerful and meaningful for you as a parent to spend an evening with other parents who have struggled through similar situations that you find yourself in. Let me direct it to teenagers. Teenagers, I don't think you're looking for a perfect role model. You are going to be drawn to peers and those others that you can look up to who have obviously struggled with some of the things that you are struggling, but they're overcoming. They're the people who can look at you and go, hmm, yeah, I understand. One more example. What makes an AA group powerful is not when someone tells a unique story, because that's not where people go because they have a unique story. <laughs> what makes it so powerful is when someone shares their story and others in that circle are moved because they can relate. Our faith communities, when we gather together in relationships, what makes them so powerful is not because we found a perfect leader or because we've filled it with model Christians. It's because we sit in a circle and we look at each other and we're not convinced as much as we are moved that the change that we saw someone else experience is the same change. Maybe, just maybe, there's hope for me. So why is the church, the Big C Church, and why is Bay Marin a local church? Why is it essential? Well, thankfully, essential is not dependent upon us having figured it all out and being the perfect church populated by perfect people. We are essential because while we are in process of becoming fuller and more complete images of Christ, we inspire others to grow with us. And this is powerful. We are essential, not because we got it all figured out and we're that convincing. We're essential because other people can look at our brokenness and can see over time that we keep graduating. They can see over time that that mark where Jesus is and that mark where we are, it's, it's slowly, that gap is slowly closing. So what's the beginning of this process? What's required of us in this process? It begins, I believe that change begins 
any kind of change begins with awakening. We are awakened to the reality that we are not who we want to be or who we thought we were. All change begins with some type of an awakening. The numerous and recent examples of racial, of, of, of racial prejudice, um, th these videos are horrific and difficult to watch, but do you get the sense that there seems to be an awakening, an acknowledgement that things are not as they should be? This injustice, is, it's not new. The, the country and even the world is waking up to how far short we are falling from what life could and must be. With awakening is hope for change. While we are awakening to the realities of our current being, we are also awakened to the possibilities of our becoming. And that's what we hope for. Note that the beginning of change is not merely knowledge. Knowledge alone rarely catalyzes movement. How many of us know, for example, that eating a dozen donuts a day is not good for the human body? <laughs> but you have people like me who are not changed by that knowledge. You set a dozen donuts in front of me and it's something really bad is gonna happen. I, I have the knowledge, but that's not changing me. We are awakened to what could be, which is always exciting but we are also awakened to the gap between who we currently are and who we want to be. We are awakened to that growth mark of where we are, but to where the image of Christ is, and that loving and generous and selfless and giving person that we know we were created to be. And when we are awakened, this is a beautiful thing. This is the gospel. God meets us in that gap. And that place where we are unlike Christ, let that sink in. God meets us in that gap. In other words, God is not content to remain distant, high above us. God is not impatiently tapping his foot, looking at his watch, wondering if you or I will ever grow up and graduate and join him. God doesn't shake his head and tisk 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 us from a distance. The gospel, the good news, is that God came near. He moves towards us. He meets us in the gap. And so it's a supernatural thing that we do. We walk towards him by walking with him. Now, don't try and wrap your mind around how that takes place, how we move towards him while also walking with him. But that's how growth happens. We walk with him because he meets us in the gap of our unchristlikeness. And I know we expend a lot of energy trying to put our best foot forward, trying to convince him that we are worth spending time with when he's saying, no, I'm, I wanna spend time with all of you. I wanna spend time with you in your brokenness because that brokenness, guess what? That brokenness is you and I wanna spend time with you. And it's in that gap, that space, that space that even though we aren't a real clear reflection of the image of Christ, he begins by awakening us. And we are awakened to the ways that we are not yet mature, the ways that we are not loving and not forgiving, 
the ways we are not yet a healing presence in the world. We are awakened to how we have been deformed rather than transformed. And these ways that we are not mature and that we are not like Christ, the Bible refers to that as our cross. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to the disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And apparently this is a really important story that Jesus shared with his disciples because it's recorded for us also in Mark's gospel in chapter 8 and Luke's gospel in chapter 9. Jesus looks at them. He looks at all of us as apprentices, all of us who realize there's a gap. Okay, I've graduated. There's been some progress, but there's still some growth to come. And he says, take up your cross and follow me. Now, what does that refer to? Does that mean your cross to bear is that coworker who gets on your nerves? Is your cross to bear that cantankerous neighbor who's always on to you about how bad your lawn looks? Is your, can, is your cross to bear that roommate that is just driving you nuts? Is your cross to bear a set of circumstances that you're unable to change? Do we just kind of go, oh, you know, that's my cross to bear? You know, when, when you talk to, to my wife, Beth, about me, does she go, oh, Gary, he's just my cross to bear? <laughs> there are some challenges <laughs> that she has to endure <laughs> being married to me. But this is our cross. When, when Jesus says, take up your cross, it's pretty personal. Our cross is the point of our unchristlikeness. It's that point where we are not a clear reflection of the image of Christ. Progress towards being formed into the image of Christ takes place at the point of our unlikeness to Christ. And that begins with awakening. So we simply wake up to the gap, to the ways that we are not like Christ, and that's it. We wake up and then eventually God zaps us with a holy bolt of lightning that changes us so we act more like Jesus. Well, no, we are invited into this process of growth, but it's not a works-based thing that we earn through holy sweat. After the awakening, the next step, just so you know, is not beating yourself up. It's not shaming yourself over how much of a difference there is between where you are, your mark of growth, and where Jesus is. After awakening, the next step is not excusing or justifying your brokenness. After awakening, the next step is not doubling down and promising to do better. After awakening, the next step is to gently release yourself into the arms of a loving and merciful God right there at the point of your unlikeness to Christ. It's letting God love you at the height you are right now, not the height that you think you should be, not the height that you want to be. It's letting God love you right now. It's letting God love you as you enter into your freshman year, not thinking, well, maybe God will love me when I'm a senior. It's opening yourself up to God's love right there where you are. That point on the wall that marks where you are today, maybe you should write another name next to that mark. Not just your name, write the name of Jesus next to that. 
if you've got kids, like what if we did this literally? What if we marked where our kids were in their growth and we put that child's name and then on the other side of that mark, we put Jesus' name as a reminder to them that he's with them the whole way. He's with you the whole way. Let that sink in. As the transforming works take, as that transforming work takes place, as we make progress over a lifetime, the goal is not to become model Christians. The mole, the, the role that we take is we are a character in the great story of God. The essential role of Bay Marin is not to cultivate model Christians responsible for convince, convincing all of Marin and beyond that they need Christ. Instead, as we grow and change, we will move the world by the compelling story of our lives. When we say, yes, I was broken. And in my brokenness, God was with me. In some ways, I'm still struggling with brokenness in areas of my life. And I want you to know that God is still with me. The arc of the story of our lives is not going to be one of perfection, but rather a story of transformation, of death to life. And I want us to transition to communion with that in mind. When Jesus went to the cross, when he took up his cross, he did so for our brokenness, to model for us. And he also showed us that when we take up our cross and we die to self, if we continue that story, we realize that a resurrection follows, death to life. And we don't have to become stunted forever in our growth. We can continue to grow. And as we take up our crosses, we do so with the promise of new life. Isaiah 53, 4 says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. And then down in Isaiah 53, 11, After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. We take these two simple elements of bread and juice, reminders of the Christ who took up our cross, who bore our transgressions, the God who came down and met us in the gap, who invites us to live like him, taking up our crosses, opening our hearts to redemption and transformation. So would you take these elements with me? Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he offered it to his friends. And as friends, we too, we take this, eat it in remembrance of Jesus. And then Jesus took a cup and he said this was symbolic of his blood, his atoning death on the cross. And he says, when you drink this, do so in remembrance of me.